We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to talk about uh, completion today. Completion. This is the last message in this series. We talked about uh, the first Sunday of the month, how that completion in 2020 is a very biblical thing, and I gave you the reason behind that. And then we talked about two weeks ago, completion being us doing the will of God. Today I want to talk to you about completion being us pleasing God. Us pleasing God. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20, reading verse through verse 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray that you add your anointing to the preaching of your word. Hide me behind the cross today. Let Jesus be evident in this place. Let the power of the Spirit of God touch every heart, every life that's gathered here. Make us who you want us to be, that we can be pleasing to you. We ask it in your name. Amen. So when we talk about uh, pleasing God, we have to recognize that every aspect of our daily lives figures into those two words. Every decision we make, every action we take figures into those two words. It's a stunning Bible truth that the Bible plainly teaches that God wants us to please Him. When we actually study the Scripture and learn what the Word says about it, then we understand that the Father loves us. He finds happiness and delight in us. And when we strive to please Him, when we choose to live our lives in such a way that it brings honor and glory to Him, He allows that same delight and joy to flow in and through our lives. It's an amazing concept that as we strive to please God, He then pours His blessing out upon us in a greater and a more wonderful way. When Paul looked to motivate his readers in several of his writings, he focused on the reality of pleasing God. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, So whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. He said in Ephesians 5, 8 and 10, Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, he said, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you on the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He said, make it your aim. He then wanted to say, discern what is pleasing to God. Then he went on to say, as you're doing it now, continue to do so more and more. Pleasing God is a very real promise and and premise from the Scripture. Every decision that we make, every choice that we make, every aspect of how we live our life is either to pursue sin or to pursue righteousness. It's either to displease the Lord or to please the Lord. We have a choice every day, sometimes multiple times in the same day whether we're going to please Him or whether we're going to disobey Him. And when we really begin to break this down, we realize that pleasing God rests on two factors. 
The first, it rests on our unity with God. You see, when you and I come to Jesus Christ, ask Him to forgive us of our sins and come into our life, we are joined with Him. We are no longer aliens, strangers, but at that point, we become family. We become members of the family of God. We become sons and daughters of God. We are joined with God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ. So it depends upon our union. And that union doesn't ebb and flow. God loves us regardless of how we behave or what we do. His love never ceases and His love never fails. Secondly, it depends upon our communion or relationship with Christ on a daily basis. As we see that, we understand that that relationship, that communion, that time we spend with Him can increase and decrease depending upon you and I. Let me give you an example. If you're living in habitual sin, it's a pretty sure bet that your communion with God becomes cold and distant. If you're living in constant disobedience to the Word of God, it's a sure thing that the heavens are going to seem to be brass. There will seem that God doesn't care. He's forgotten you when that is not true at all, but rather it's your actions that alienate you from His love, His grace, and His mercy. So we understand it depends upon union, and it depends upon communion. But we also understand if we seek to please God, if we devote our lives to honoring Him, to obeying His Word, to doing what He asks us to do, to do His will, then we see our relationship with Him is vibrant. It's alive. It's full of energy. It's not some religious thing that we only experience on Sunday morning, but from the moment we wake up, His praise is on our lips. Till the night we lay down and go to sleep, we give Him honor and glory and thanksgiving for all that He's done for us, for the strength He gives us, for the grace He covers us in, for the mercy that He clothes us with. Oh, somebody, do you understand that this thing of pleasing God is dependent upon our communion? our relationship with the Father. And that's what makes Christian life worth living. I've got news for you, Christianity. Being a believer in Jesus is not dull. It is not boring. Matter of fact, you ought to follow me around someday. My life is full of adventure. I never know what's going to happen the next moment. Why? Because I'm following a living God who's going to guide and direct my steps. He will put me in places that make me uncomfortable, but he always brings me through. Oh, come on, that's what relationship is all about, experiencing him, his goodness, and his mercy. Remember this. It's in your bulletin. Pleasing God directly relates to our pursuit of his holiness in our life. When we say no to sin and we say yes to righteousness, then that brings pleasure to the Father. God's not apathetic to our disobedience or to our obedience, but rather when we choose to obey Him, He chooses to infuse us with His joy. He delights in us, and we then delight in Him. If you and I can understand, if we could really grasp it, and this, this concept blows my mind every time I think about it, every time I enunciate it, but if we could really grasp this fact, that our obedience has the ability to bring delight and happiness to the God of the galaxies, it would revolutionize our lives. It would revolutionize the way we live. My obedience brings delight to God. And as a result, then I can delight in Him. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read a couple of verses that illustrate this. 
Verses 5 and 6, the Bible says these words. By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Can I tell you the epitaph of every believer should be, he or she pleased God. They didn't live to, pl- live to please themselves, they lived to please God. I joke with Yvonne all the time, I'm just getting over pneumonia. I've had it for a couple of weeks now. And uh, when I was really sick, I was saying to her all the time, I'm probably going to die, and she would just laugh me off. And I said, no, it's going to be written on my tombstone. See, I told you I was dying. But really, what needs to be written on my tombstone and yours is he or she pleased God. He pleased God. That should be our goal, our quest, our desire. And then go on and read the next verse, verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Every aspect of our relationship with God is built upon faith, our believing in him. He goes on to say these words in that passage. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Those two words, he is. I could preach message after message on those two words. He is. My question to you this morning is who is God to you? How do you see him? How do you know him? How do you understand him? How do you relate to him? Because he is. He is everything you need. He is everything you see. He's everything you desire. He is. We must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I read that passage and I think, you know, that that passage really is meant to be a compass for us. To keep us moving in the right direction. I remember when I had just got out of high school and lived in western Oklahoma, decided to take flying lessons and become a pilot. My instructor was a guy I'd known for years. So I went out to the airport to meet him that first day, and he said, come on, I'm going to show you what to do. And he showed me how to do a walk around on the outside of that airplane, making sure that everything was okay. And then he said, get on on the left side. I was a bit surprised because I'd never flown a plane before, and he's put me in the pilot seat. A little nervous, too. He crawled in on the right side. And he said, now I want you to put your hands on the yoke and your feet on the rudders. Don't put any pressure on it. Just feel and see everything that I'm doing. I said, okay, that sounds easy enough. So we went out. He went to the end of the runway. We took off. Went about 2,000, 2,500 feet. He took his hands off the yoke and his feet off the rudders. And he said, it's yours. And I'm thinking, you are absolutely crazy. Why would you do this to me? He said, there's only two things you need to do. Keep your eyes on the altimeter, make sure you don't drop below 2,000 feet, and keep your eyes on the compass so you stay going in the right direction. Well, this suddenly became so much fun. Just watching that altimeter, looking outside, realizing, I'm free, I'm liberated, I'm flying. After about 30 minutes, he said, I think I better take it back for a minute. I said, what am I doing wrong? He said, well, I told you to do two things. Watch the altimeter, which you've done that very well, but also watch the compass. He said, if we continue on the heading you're on right now, we're going to end up in Nome, Alaska. So he, see, it's a compass. It's about knowing where we're going and keeping us going the right direction. So in order to do that, we have to come back and check the instruments. We have to check the word, the compass, again and again and again. Do you know why it's important you come to church? Because it allows you to realign that compass 
to make sure it's going the right direction and you're going the right direction and God directs you and guides you. You see, the scripture says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. It's very, very important that we live our lives not according to what we think, but what the Word says. So we come back again and again and again to check our course and make corrections. I think about this scripture from Hebrews chapter 11, and I've got to tell you, it's absolutely remarkable that you and I have the ability to please God. You don't think that's remarkable? I think that's remarkable. I know me. I know a lot of you, and I'm telling you, it's remarkable. It's remarkable that we have the ability to please God. What did Hebrews 11, 6 say? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. I know there's a lot of phrases in, in religion and in Christianity that become so familiar that they can breed contempt, but more likely they breed complacency. This is one of them, pleasing God. What does that really mean? How do I really embody that? How do I really put that into practice? I can please God? You know, I think about that and I realize that what's even more remarkable is I can't please you, but I can please God. I can't please men, but I can please God. That's a remarkable thing when you really begin to think about it, that God has given you the ability to please Him. My occupation, my profession as a pastor makes it really difficult to please everybody all the time. Matter of fact, I make someone happy and somebody mad almost every week. It's just the way it goes. Kind of reminds me of years ago, I was driving back from a meeting late at night, brand new tires on my pickup, and it had a blowout. Well, I was dressed in a suit, had on a white shirt, but I had to change the tire, you know? So I got out, jacked it up, took the blown out wheel off, it was completely disintegrated, got the spare down, you know. They have those things where the spare comes up underneath the bed and you have to insert that long lug wrench in it and twist it the right way. Those things are of the devil. I'm going to tell you that right now. I hate them. Put the thing in the back and forget it. Anyway, I finally got it down, got the new tire on. By this time, I'm covered in sweat. My white shirt is black. I'm filthy dirty. My hands don't even resemble hands. They are dirty. They're filthy. And then I went to put that hubcap back on. Have you ever tried that? I stuck it in at the bottom, it went in well, I popped it at the top, and it came out at the bottom. So I popped it at the top and thought it would go in there, and it came out at the bottom. So then I went around, I hit it on one side, thinking maybe that was the way to do it, and the other side pops loose. Over and over and over, I got so angry at a hubcap. You ever been angry at an innate object? We all have. Don't act like you're perfect. You're no better than I am. We all have. So angry at that hubcap, I finally stood up, grabbed it, and was going to throw it over into a pasture beside the road. And then realized, I better not do that. That cost $135. So I threw it in the trunk and took off and went on home. You know what I realized? I realized that pickup drove just as well without the hubcap as it did with it. And I was upset about something that I allowed to control me rather than focusing on what God had already done in me and through me. See, a lot of times pleasing people is just like that hubcap. We make this group happy, and this group gets mad. We make this group happy, and this group gets mad. So we don't know whether we're trying to please A, B, or C. It doesn't matter because we can't please anybody. But the good news is we can please God. 
We can please God. You know, you guys are reaping the rewards of 20 plus years in ministry when I came here. I learned these lessons early on. Some of you thought I was really a hard-nosed dude because I wasn't interested in pleasing you. No, I just learned. It's profitless. It's pointless. It isn't going to work anyway. Why do I want to focus on pleasing you when I can focus on pleasing God? And if we all will focus on pleasing God, oh, listen to me, here's the truth. If we all focus on pleasing God, all that pettiness, all that silliness, all that fighting, conniving, and division that is so rife in many churches will not exist here because we don't care about pleasing each other. We care about pleasing God. Oh, come on, somebody, get that in your spirit. Let it go over and over in your gizzard today until it becomes a part of your life and you realize my responsibility is to please God. I can't please men, but I can please my heavenly Father. And all I have to do is obey Him. He delights in that and then He allows that delight, that joy to flow through my life when I choose to do that. Hebrews chapter 11, these scriptures are written in order to encourage the people that are reading this passage. So the author goes back in time to give examples of God's faithfulness. He goes back to Abel. He talks about Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Joshua. And he says, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't faint in well-doing. God will be faithful if you are faithful to him. Remember what he's done. I think you might even be saying that Those folks experience the power of God. You can as well if you set your quest to please Him, if you determine to follow Him. I know there are some probably even in this auditorium, some listening online, some who will watch this later, who will say, well, that's what God used to do. But He didn't do that stuff anymore. That's the way God used to be. But He's not a God of the miraculous anymore. This is a new day. We're a different people. We're enlightened. We're woke. That's not the way God works. All those examples you say happened hundreds, even thousands of years ago, and God doesn't operate that way anymore. Let me take you back to verse 5, or verse 6. You must believe that He is. Those two words, He is, encompass yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Those words say that what he did once, he'll do again. That what he did for another, he'll do for you. It says God is still in the miracle working business. God is still in the business of showing his power, displaying his grace, proving his mercy. He's still in the deliverance of salvation and healing and deliverance. Oh, somebody, hear me. He is. He is. I know there's a lot of things that modern-day Christians need to understand, but I'm not sure there's anything more pertinent or relevant than this concept of pleasing God. In Hebrews 11.32, the writer went on to say, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of, and then he goes on and on and on and on. He's just like every other preacher. He says, I don't have time to talk to you about this, but let's talk about this. You ever notice that? I don't have time to tell you this story, but let's talk about this story. I don't have time to unfold this for you, but let's unfold it for you today. He goes on to talk about it. Look at verses 33 through 35. He says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, 
obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Well, if you can read that and something not spring up within you, you're dead. Your wood's wet. You need to come back to where you know that he is. And what he did once, he will do again. Again. So many times we don't expect God to work that way today. So many times we think that's a thing of the past. What God did hundreds or thousands of years ago, he no longer does. Somehow we have the idea that if we're going to get out of the mess we find ourselves in, it has to be because of our cleverness, our ingenuity, our education, our sophistication, our intelligence, our formulas, our plans, because we don't expect God to do what He once did. But listen to me. If you'll set your life to pleasing Him, then suddenly you find your faith rising. Suddenly you find your spiritual eyes being opened. And you can say, if he did it once, he'll do it again. If he did it for Moses and Joshua and Caleb, he'll do it again for me. If there's a mountain in my path, I can stand like Caleb of old and say I'm 85 years old, but I'm a strong for battle as I was in the day that the promise was given to me. Give me the mountain. When we understand our goal and our role is to please God. But when we get the idea that God doesn't do that anymore, I had to stop and think about that for a moment. Where did those ideas come from? Why would that even be a part of a believer's thinking that Jesus can't do those things anymore? Yeah, I walked on the water once. Yeah, I fed 5,000 once. Yeah, I pulled a coin out of a fish's mouth to pay in, in Peter's taxes. Yeah, I raised the dead. He healed the lepers. Yeah, he did all that once, but he can't do it again. Why? Where do we get that idea that he can't do it again? Let me tell you. We get it from preachers and teachers who are trying to explain away a powerless life and an impotent church. But you and I need to come back where we believe God's Word and what He did once, He will do again. And that flows from our determining to please Him. You see, too many times we try to align the Word with our experience rather than allowing our experience to align with the Word. When the Word directs and guides our life, our quest is to please Him at all times, in all circumstances, and in all... You know what you find out when you try to please God? All my flimsy excuses fall away. All my rationalizations come to an end. All my petty, false, fake doctrines die. Every sacred cow is slain on that altar when I say I'm going to please God. Do you realize that as believers, we get so uptight, torqued about things that really don't amount to a hill of beans. We get torqued about things that are absolutely unimportant and irrelevant in the scope of eternity. But when you determine to please God, when you say, my question life is this and this only. I'm going to follow the Father. I'm going to do what He says. I'm going to accomplish His will. I'm going to be pleasing unto Him. Oh, listen to me, friend. All that stuff that once held you back, all that stuff that once sucked you in, all those silly, flimsy arguments that once held you captive are blown away because the power of the Father flows into your life. 
and there comes a realization, an acknowledgement. I can't make excuses anymore. I can't live behind that rationalization any longer. I can't uphold that sacred cow another day because I have a new light and a new revelation that came because I chose to please the Father. I chose to honor His Son, Jesus Christ. I chose to employ His Word in and over my life. We have to stop bringing our experience to the place where the Word is subject to it. And we have to bring the Word so that our experience is subject to it. You see, there will be bad things happen to good people. Simply the truth. Cancer strikes the righteous and the unrighteous. Rebellion teens happen in every home. We need to understand that addiction is a part of our culture. It's in the church as well. The things that we try to skim over, hide, neglect, ignore, are really staring us square in the face. But if we come to the place where we will determine to please God, none of those things scare us any longer. When we come to the place where we say, I'm going to please God and Him alone, we can look the devil in the eye with all of his minions and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Know your place. Get out of my face in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, church. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You need to be telling people what God has done for you. Sharing his grace, his goodness, and his mercy. And reminding the enemy where he belongs. He doesn't belong in your face. What did Paul say to the Romans? And shortly shall the God of all peace bruise Satan. Where's he going to be? Under your feet. Under your feet. He's nothing but the ground I walk on. Oh, come on, somebody. I live in victory because I please God. I'm an overcomer because I please God. I can defeat the enemy and all of his plans because I please God. And the power of God flows in and through our lives. Because we choose and we determine to please the living God. See, we need to understand that when we pray... We are praying to the same God that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus prayed to. When we pray, we're praying to the same God who did every miracle, wonderful work recorded in the pages of this book. And he is the same God who answered those needs and did those things so long ago, and he will do them yet again today if we believe that he is. That he is. And if we set our face to please Him. So when we pray, we don't come as beggars. We come as sons and daughters. We don't approach some distant deity. We walk right into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we pray, we don't come with anxiousness or fear. But we come with boldness and faith. Because the God of the universe has already given His Son to forgive us of our sins, fill us our lives, and to change our destiny. So when I come, I come, as the writer of Hebrews says, boldly under the throne of grace, knowing that there I will find mercy and receive grace to help in my time of need. Why? Because I'm going to please Him. And pleasing Him is all about believing that He is come to tell you this morning, God has not abandoned the things He's done in the past. If He's the God that could part the Red Sea, 
he can part your waters as well. If he's the God that could allow one little old Jewish warrior to kill 800 of the enemy, he can fight your battles as well. If he's the God that could make the widow's oil and flour last until the drought ended, he's the God that can meet your needs as well. If he's the God that did it once, he's the God that will do it again. When we set our face to please him. Tom, come back. When we determine he's the one we're going to follow, when we stop being worried about what someone else thinks. Some of you hold yourself in bondage because you're concerned about what your spouse or your children or your parents or your neighbors or your friends may think about you living out your Christianity in fullness and in boldness. Stop it. Stop it. Do you understand that Jesus Christ publicly died on a cross for you and me? Oh, come on, friend. I haven't seen anybody in this room that's been crucified. I haven't seen anybody in this room that's really been very persecuted. If Jesus did that for you, isn't it time that we live boldly for him? Quit hiding behind our excuses. Quit hiding behind our petty pet false doctrines. Quit hiding behind our rationalization and follow Jesus Christ. I'll quote it one more time, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him, that he may show himself strong in their behalf. You see, the writer of Hebrews said we need to please God. He also said the way we please God is through faith in the fact that he is. Strip away all the nonsense. Strip away all the craziness. Strip away all your religion. And focus on the fact that He is. And when you do that, suddenly, revelation and knowledge and inspiration and guidance and direction will flow through your life. Because He is. He is. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're in this room this morning. You've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you were to die today, your sins would separate you from God for all of eternity. You have no hope of making it to heaven because there's only one way, not many ways, one way. It's through Jesus Christ. You're here this morning and you say, Steve, please pray for me. I want to know Him as my Savior. I want Him to forgive me of my sins. I want Him to change my life. That's you right where you sit. Just slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Yes, yes. Others? Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 1030, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.